Welcome to the Joy Joya podcast, where jewelry is joy and everyone is encouraged to add more polish and sparkle to the world with topics ranging from marketing tips to business development, best practices and beyond. This is the go-to podcast for ambitious jewelry industry dreamers like you. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and professionals so they can thrive while adding more beauty to the world. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. As we all know, jewelry is joy, so I'll gladly seize any opportunity to talk about it. This is episode 169, and today I'm going to be sharing my interview with Sophie Simon, founder and CEO of Tsuba Gems. Sophie's a master at colored gemstones and her passion for them shines and sparkles. She's also extremely experienced in many different facets of the jewelry industry. For 14 years, Sophie worked in Paris and London as a colored gemstone grader, a diamond grader, a contemporary jewelry production and workshop assistant, an employee in a large mineral specimens gallery, a high jewelry sales assistant, and a brand quality control assistant before she embarked on her gemology diploma adventure in 2015. Throughout all her roles, she loved discovering so many different varieties and shades of color and wanted to become an expert in gemology. In her business, Tsuba, she wants her gemstones to be for everyone, for the high-end designer or jewelry student. She holds a large variety of specimens and qualities so everyone can find something. She loves sourcing special orders and discovering new designs and collections. In an email exchange after the interview, Sophie said, quote, no matter how rich you are, you deserve a gem for yourself and to make jewels for others. I live and breathe with gems and jewelry. I am inseparable from them, end quote. In this episode, we chat about Sophie's amazing and eye-catching experiences in the world of gemstone sourcing. She shares details about the forces impacting today's gemstone producers, as well as the importance of transparency in the supply chain. She also talks about why she's so passionate about supporting women in the gem and jewelry industries. But before we get to the solid gold of this episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both an audio and video component, so you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. I love creating this content as my act of service to you, my awesome listeners, and you can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on iTunes, which helps other jewelry dreamers find it too. If you listen to episode 165 with my guest Liz Kantner, you know that we recently opened registration for our collaborative six-part webinar series called Success with Jewelry. Enrollment is still open. Want all the details? Visit successwithjewelry.com or follow on Instagram at successwithjewelry. Can't wait to see you at the webinar. In this segment of the podcast, I give out my Sparkle Award for the week. During this segment, I highlight a jewelry brand that's impressing me with their marketing. The Sparkle Award is also interactive, so you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days. 
I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. This week, I'm highlighting two brands that are rock stars on TikTok, and the reason why I'm doing that will make sense in just a moment when I talk a little more about TikTok, but really two jewelry brands that are doing extremely well with their TikTok content is Catbird NYC and Jenny Bird. (laughs) They just both happen to have birds in their name. Catbird is doing some really fun and innovative content on TikTok. The types of categories that they post are new products, store tours, behind the scenes, unboxings, get ready with us videos. And then Jenny Bird is really posting a lot of fun and relatable videos that don't at all feel salesy. There's one that's kind of like a the person in the video is like whenever i'm online shopping dot 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 and then the fun of what that's like me arriving late because i need to accessorize and just again having a lot of playfulness around that and trying to figure out how to wear all the earrings at once without getting another piercing it's kind of hard to explain if you're not looking at it but i encourage you if you don't have the TikTok app, to download it and at least go look at those two accounts so you can get a sense of what jewelry brands are doing on TikTok, how they're doing it, how they are trying to be creative without (laughs) dancing, which I think a lot of people associate with TikTok. Anyway, I'll put a link to those two accounts in the show notes so you can see for yourself. As I mentioned, you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. Let's discuss some recent news related to jewelry or marketing. Each week, I share my thoughts about three relevant articles, and you can get those links by visiting joyjoya.com slash sign up. Once you're on that VIP list, you'll receive our weekly digest filled with new episode announcements. The first one comes from commonthread.co and it connects back to what I was saying in the Sparkle Awards segment about TikTok. So this article is your TikTok e-commerce guide, tactics, examples, and how to succeed without dancing. So TikTok is truly the it platform and it continues to grow with 650,000 new users each day. The platform even overtook Google late last year to become the most visited domain in the world. It's a valuable asset to have as a brand because it really allows for discoverability in a way that Instagram does not. Here's one quote from the article. Unlike other social media platforms, TikTok supports widespread content virality, regardless of follower count, end quote. It just... Brands just really shouldn't be ignoring this platform because it can potentially really boost your visibility if you are being creative in your content. The number one goal of people on TikTok to kind of gain more exposure is to reach new audiences on the FYP or the For You page. So how does a brand get on this FYP? Basically, make a video that users will want to watch and ultimately share with others. The video that's most likely to land on someone's FYP is if your video receives more views than the average account within your audience range. Or, of course, there's a sponsored version of that where you can pay. What are the TikTok analytics right now that are mattering the most for brands? Average time watched watched full video and reached audience. So as you can see, these are all metrics 
related to video engagement because that is what TikTok is all about. So what are the top three components of an effective organic marketing strategy on TikTok if you're not paying for ads? One, definitely influencer partnerships. That is a huge component of successful brands on TikTok. They are, quote, the new celebrities of the digital era. Also, live stream. So to unlock this real-time engagement feature on TikTok, you will need to be at least 16 years old. I mean, I'm sure you are, but also have at least 1,000 followers. There's no time limit on TikTok Live, and it can appear on the FYP page when general users are scrolling through the platform. And finally, taking advantage of all the shopping features on TikTok. So brands or creators with a TikTok for Business account have the ability to host a tab on their profile where users can browse or buy products, giving you a new channel to sell your jewelry. What are your thoughts on TikTok? Have you tried it out? Are you finding ways to engage with your customers on this platform? I would say that more and more demographics are joining the platform previously. You know, a year or two ago, maybe TikTok was more reserved for like, the Gen Z, um, but I think that that user demographic is expanding and that it has become more diverse. So it's definitely worth exploring if your customers are spending time there. The next article comes from the official Google blog and it's called Helping Your Products Stand Out to Shoppers. So Google really wants to help e-commerce brands be more discoverable, wants to help empower users of Google to shop more efficiently and to make the shopping experience more fun. And so Google has been rolling out a lot of tools that support and work complementarily with e-commerce. So they recently have some new data and insight tools. One, the shopping experience scorecard. So this is a program that rewards merchants for good customer experiences. And just an overall reminder that customer experience is so important in e-commerce to the point that Google is going to use that as like kind of a ranking factor for e-commerce stores. Two, they release free listings conversion reporting. So this new tool makes it easier to measure the impact of free product listings by showing things like total traffic, impressions, and conversion rate. They're also, or they just recently released a priced insight tool so merchants can see whether their products are priced competitively and also local product insights. So local businesses that serve a local customer base will be able to see their most viewed products, including snapshots of top products and more. So Google is really staying at the forefront of supporting e-commerce businesses, and I love to see that. And then the last article for today is from JCK, and it's an another, another announcement from Instagram. I feel like there's one every week, don't you agree? Anyway, Instagram recently introduced new messaging features. So on March 31st, Instagram in announced a new update to its messaging capability. Some of the features around this messaging platform maybe aren't super relevant to brands, but there was one that I liked that I think perhaps a small bit small business owner in the jewelry industry could maybe use to engage with like VIP customers. So one of these new messaging features is that polls will be available for group chats as a way to ask your group DMs for their opinion on something. So imagine if you are a small jewelry business owner and you've identified a handful of like your top VIP customers 
you have good relationships with them. What if you almost created like a focus group of these customers, making them feel even more special and valued and had maybe like a group DM chat going with them in Instagram where you could poll, poll them, you can share like exclusive content and updates with them. It's just one option to create like a closed community with those customers who really matter. So that's just one idea. As I mentioned, if you wanna get the links to the articles I share in this segment of the podcast, you can become a JoyJoya VIP by visiting joyjoya.com slash sign up. Without further delay, let's get to my interview with Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you today all about gemstone sourcing. Hi, Larissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really happy to be invited on your podcast. <laughs> and and talking to me from so far away, like from across the world in France today, right? I know. We're in Paris. <laughs> so good morning to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. I appreciate uh, coordinating the time zone differences. <laughs> I know. The magic of internet now. <laughs> exactly. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you first entered the jewelry industry way back when? (laughs) Way back, that's for sure, because that was in 2002, actually, that I graduated with the equivalent of a jeweler MA in France. So that's called a Brevet des Métiers d'Art. And that's a degree in general jewelry program where you learn all the different high jewelry techniques, but you also learn about gemstones, drawing, jewelry, and all the marketing skills that you might get. That's just an intro. And then you can go on and graduate on other diplomas. But I decided to discover the jewelry world by myself after that. So yeah, 20 years ago now. (laughs) Amazing. So how has your career evolved over that time? Because I know you've had your hands in like a lot of different parts. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's been it's been a ride. And it's been a fantastic ride because jewelry englobes a lot of different work, different skills, and you can work on different fields within the jewelry world. There's about 40 different trades just to make a jewelry, you know, going from setting the stones and also the dealers and also different techniques that you can learn and be specialized in. So I decided very early on to try my hand on a lot of different skills with working with jewelry designers, even glass blowers and having like integrated different medium techniques into the jewelry. So I was able basically to get my hand on uh, different facets of the trade. So I've been working for different, a lot of different companies, which were nothing to do one with another, but I was very happy to do so indeed. Yeah, it could be very long to actually describe all the places I worked. (laughs) Did you say 40 different trades in the industry to like make a piece come together? I never even thought about that before. (laughs) Absolutely. Like people don't realize that. And usually the consumers will think that it's only one person, but you will have the wax carver, for instance, which are sculpting the waxes to make the prototypes. Some others are using 3D designs now, but most of the time it's done by hand. 
And then you get the people working with the metal, the casters, the billions, people preparing the metal to be cast. And then you get all the people working back the pieces after the casting. You've got the stone setters, you've got the polishers, you've got the engravers, the enamelers. You get all sorts of different skills that basically make, make a piece of jewelry alive. So yeah, a jeweler cannot work alone. He has to work with other people in order. Some other people, some of the jeweler actually are very lucky and they know all of those trades, but usually they calling other skilled workers to help them to make the jewelry. So yes, it's a lot, a lot of different trades to be able to do that. It's such an amazing reminder because I feel like no matter how long I'm in this space, in the industry, I'm always like newly in awe of something, even just like being reminded that there are so many different, you know, um, roles that go into making a piece of jewelry. Yes, I think it's quite important. And especially because I've been trained in very classical and traditional French jewelry. I think that people kind of forget that it's just not a computer and somebody maybe behind the bench. Sometimes and very often, it's a lot of different people working. So we call in a lot of skills for jewelry making. And the same goes for gemstone trading because you actually have a lot of people working to have the final gemstone faceted in your hand. So this is something that most of people don't quite know, but this is also the magic of jewelry. It's a lot of people working in the background, making magic. And sometimes it's good to have it a bit of secret too. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. So your focus right now um, with your business, Suba Gems, is colored gemstone sourcing. And that seems to be like your main passion or where you've landed, at least for now. I would love to know more about why you're so passionate about colored gems and acquiring and sourcing them. Well, definitely they've been on my mind for since the beginning, actually in 1996 when I, when I started the jewelry school. And I always wanted to know how those people were able to find those gems. So I was very, very passionate about you know, finding out about geology and different places on earth that are related to geology work and how do you find in different grounds and how deep. So this is something I really wanted to do. I never did actual gem, gem, geology, sorry, geology uh, diploma, but I'm generally very interested about that. And then basically also all those shining stuff and how does that happen? That they're all different in colors that you will find them some of them so expensive and some of them very very cheap and what's going on with that really so um, it wasn't natural evolution for me coming from jewelry to get my my hands on 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 gemstones and i also worked without a gemology diploma for diamond graders and gemstone graders at the peak of my career in like 2005. And I was really, really into like grading and provide the best quality for high jewelry brands from the Place Vendôme. So definitely they were in my eye uh, for a long time. So I decided to graduate uh, with GEMA and pass my gemology FGA diploma. Awesome. So what makes your business and your offerings unique and special? Well, I think I choose the stones like they were for myself. Really. <laughs> so 
I go with my heart, choose the colors that I like, and I tend to not necessarily follow the trends, you know, because the trends make the price higher and everybody kind of jump on the same wagon. So I decided to look into gems that have inclusions, fancy shapes, um, some uh, designs that basically other people would not necessarily look into and definitely a lot of different materials, not focusing solely on precious stones, but going really, really on all the different gemstones you can find from agate to sapphires and maybe diamonds. So yes, I definitely want to have a selection which is eclectic that can serve as many people as possible, including young jewelers, students, um, individuals, people working on different high-end collections, you name it, I'm saying yes to everybody. <laughs> I love that. Um, are you able to mention any of the jewelry brand clients that you support? Would our listeners be familiar with any of them? Well, I don't know because I'm working with a lot of independent jewelers from France and Europe. So I don't know whether our American consumers will be familiar with them. I also love all my clients. I really, really <laughs> care for them. And it doesn't matter how much you will spend with me because the process of your jewelry making is something that I'm very, very attached to. And actually, I can spend the same amount of time and effort on finding rose quartz uh, than finding tourmaline or rubies because I find it like so interesting that people can access to gemstones whatever they need and not because they actually have the highest value and I will value them more. To name just two that I really like and maybe the, the American public will know is cast jewelry that I really really cared for. They are based in San Francisco and they are making a very bright colorful happy jewelry with enamel and other materials that I really really love and another uh, artist is Alice Ciccolini which I provide for her designs as well and I absolutely love the enamel and all the colorful jewelry she makes such a positive design and I um, really really like that so I can't name any, any other people because I think it would be unfair to all the amazing customers that I have. Sure. So, you know, I don't want to place anybody higher than the other one, but these two are definitely one of the most vibrant, colorful jewelry. And I think we do need a lot of good, good vibes at the moment. Agreed. So you are also a jewelry designer as one of the many hands that you've had in the industry and you, you create pieces for custom requests, yes, correct? Absolutely, yes. So how, how does your background and experience in jewelry design inform your gem sourcing and then vice versa? Well, actually it doesn't really influence um, because I make the jewelry for the people that really want one piece from me so i'm not basically um choosing the gems for them they have they have colors ideas we talk about shapes so i'm sourcing the stone like for any other jewelry customer not necessarily in my uh from my stock you know they they sure. might choose something that i really don't have and i have to source for them in terms of how it influenced my sourcing it basically is two different jobs 
for me. So I don't, I understand better now the jewelry needs. And as a jeweler, I can understand better how they want to, what kind of stones they want. And I understand via their designs, you know, everything that I need to do in order to, to curate perfectly the stones for these gemstones, because I do a lot of um, uh, precise sourcing for my clients, basically having like choosing from rough and having stones cut for their collection. So sometimes it happens that I do that for my clients, but usually like I put my jeweler cap on and I'm not a gem trader anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that that helps a lot. And like just improves the communication that you have with your clients because you kind of speak their language you can like share their vision and yeah definitely also it's a technical uh, talk that we have together and because as a jeweler you will have like some basically some rules that you don't want to rule out when you're choosing a stone depending on your design so it has to be practical it has to be like the gemstones you have to know the hardness in order to not choose a stone that is too soft, let's say for a ring, that it will rub off too easily, that the facets will disappear, that it might break. So you are basically like just putting indication on what will be the best for the jewelry in order to not choose something that is, is having like not, not the good um, skills for the, the, the jewelry. Excuse my broken English. <laughs> no, you, you sound perfect to me. You're doing great. <laughs> so one thing that I personally think is like the coolest aspect about your job, besides being able to like play with beautiful gemstones, is getting to travel to so many interesting and amazing places. I know you've mentioned that you go to Thailand regularly to see the gems at the source. So I would love to hear more about these experiences can you maybe highlight one or two to give our listeners an idea of what it's like to be you and your job <laughs> yeah no i mean the whole process is such an experience and it's such a routine break from what i can experience in europe right now is completely different when i go to thailand thailand is the core source of all the faceting in Southeast Asia and a lot, a lot of rough actually traveling to Thailand to be cut by skills worker. So the whole process for me is completely life-changing. And since I went and we were accompanied by my gemology teacher, which is from the laboratory in Marseille, the gemology laboratory from Marseille, She's an amazing teacher and she brought us to Thailand first and show us the way where we should go. And then after I came the other times and I basically decided to look for the right person for me. And this is what I can stress about is you have to find your own way in the trade because there is millions of people, hundreds of millions of people actually working in the trade, not maybe quite that number, but it's actually like you have to find your path where it's right for you to meet in the right persons that are going to make you meet other people that make you meet other people. So it's, it's about human resources and connections. And um, for me, I cannot name anything because 
everything has been like a life-changing experience and I will never find my life being the same again since I went to Asia and Thailand because um, it, for me it highlighted really what I wanted to do but my experience is different for me that it will be different for somebody else like you never know actually for me I found the perfect people the perfect collaborators the skilled workers lapidary journalists and the people from the markets and I'm working with them since then so it's um it's a life experience but it's a personal experience so I wouldn't say that my experience is like the best but it's for me it was perfect indeed yeah that makes a lot of sense was it difficult to find like your people I mean what what is that like is it just meeting talking like sharing connections how do you how do you get to that point well, after reading some gemological uh, articles and different papers and different looking at different people's work on the internet, I decided to basically email them and cast a rendezvous with them, like basically an appointment and try to find out more about what they were doing, you know, what is it, what are well, their skills. And I have a good instinct and usually I can meet people like, literally out of the blue as well and uh, and they were the right persons for me you know like teaching me basically the thread of the market and see oh you should go and see that person if you're looking for that type of gemstones you want to facet this and that stones you should ask to this person because he's a great man and uh, you basically open your ears and eyes and just observe and listen to what other people experiences uh, are and also basically attending trade shows. These are very important. You have to attend trade shows to basically meet as much people as possible. This sure. is one good skill. <laughs> How do you find that those travels have helped you like better understand the supply chain and the transparency and, and issues around that? I mean, do you, do you feel that it's essential to be going to these places for those reasons? Yes, absolutely. Like one of my, my oldest supplier now is probably in his 70s. And uh, I know that he's working very closely with the brokers and the people finding the rough and cutting the gemstones. And he's a sole trader. So I'm working basically solely, he's working almost solely with me now because I'm, I can request some volume. So he has gemstones cut for me it's is more work because you have to find out about people online or discussing with them so you don't meet them in person with covid it's been very difficult obviously to travel a lot of factories have been closing as well a lot of sole traders have been hugely affected by covid especially in thailand that doesn't have the same vaccination scheme so it's been extremely difficult so um so the trade has been changing a little bit because there were no trade shows, there were no special gem uh, symposium that you could attend. So everybody kind of like been working remotely. So, so from next year, from this year, I will travel again and see basically what is um, going on over there. Usually it was like this and most people were traveling, but I feel like a lot of people now, especially from Europe, are, are working remotely now with their traders and brokers. 
to avoid traveling to Thailand, which is kind of close to foreigners right now. Yeah, I remember the first time that we connected, you mentioned that COVID is really compromising the livelihood of a lot of people in this industry just because business kind of came to a halt. Can you share a little bit more about that? Well, it's a different subject. And obviously, my heart goes to the Burmese people, which are being affected by a war right now. So the trade has been like hugely jeopardized with the political African countries as well have been hugely impacted by political affairs and large companies which have been basically trading on the back of um, artisanal miners. So I'm standing with artisanal miners and not necessarily trading with large companies, which I'm not going to name because this is not my business here, but I feel like I'm working solely with the young artisanal miners that are basically fans defending for themselves uh, within the industry, trying to support their families and uh, really are, this is a, this is a hand to mouth business most of the time. And especially with artisanal miners, lapidary workers and brokers on the market, these people really, really work really, really hard to make a living and um, they are not depending on a, on a big company that are buying their rough. So the, the complexity of this business is that there is different layers on who work where, which country, and it depends on the geopolitical um, problems basically they are facing. So things are changing slowly, but also are being changed and affecting them like it's it's a roller coaster basically but I, I would like to say that it's it's basically it's difficult now nowadays especially for very very small stones to be able to source completely entirely the rough from the sourcing because we are not having the right information because the rough are moving from borders basically to avoid conflicts in other places etc so so they're trying to basically work as the best they can. That sounds like such a complex issue. <laughs> it's very, very complicated indeed. And everyone has different bouts of information. And uh, I'm trying to reach as much as possible in my information, where the ref is found, etc. And I hope in the future I can collaborate with amazing companies that are based in, in, in Africa, for instance and are working solely with women empowerment miners companies or you can find like basically like having a straight to the source um, uh, buys which i'm not doing at the moment but i will hope to do that in the future right now i'm working with one person broken broker um that is um that is trading with the, the miner and the lapidary so I have very minimal middlemen in between me and the gems. That's sure. what I can do at the moment. And it makes you really have, I guess, sympathy for the consumer, the concerned consumer too, who really does care about where the products come from. In some cases, it seems like it's almost impossible to really have full transparency. Yes, I agree. And this is one of the main issues that basically the, the information that are going 
to the European, the Westerner consumer is half of the truth because most of the time they are very well marketed um, campaigns that basically are showcasing some of the truths but not entirely and uh, we basically the consumer wants to have the proof of sourcing of the gemstones and some companies will market absolutely anything and say anything to try to carry this information which is not often exactly true so I would like to say to the consumers that basically they, they are having good gemstones. Most of people are not being affected by the trading of those gemstones, but you very often it's actually the big companies that are affecting the livelihoods of the miners and their families because they want to exploit as many as possible of the gem lands so they might do very very wrong things to all those villages in order to place a mine and they are very big companies so usually usually with artisanal miners they are working on their own they are having their spot in the mountains the river their mines and they work with their family and they're usually not working the whole year as well they're doing agricultural work during half of the year and the other the other time of the year they do mining and broken the stones so basically the consumer won't rightfully have a right information where where the gemstone come from but you it's it is very very difficult for the small stones and as gemstone dealers we are trying as hard as possible to find the sourcing but you know usually you will miss some information that we we try to so as a gemologist we can basically find out where it's from as in geological um, uh, position, but usually you will have like some sort of like, oh yeah, it's come from Africa or it comes from Vietnam or Thailand or some other places like Nigeria, which is a bit more local, but you won't have necessarily the name of the mine it's coming from. Sure. Are there any other challenges or issues that you're seeing with gemstone producers or in that space of the industry today? Like what are some of the other forces that these people are battling? I think that basically trends, trends are not the, a good thing for the gemstone market and for the people finding the gemstones because there is a lot of pressure. Like we had the Paraiba tourmaline uh, that's been a craze that being prolonged, the price is so high and they're basically putting a lot of pressure on the miners and everybody to find this type of colors. So when trends appears and some jeweler on high-end jeweler decided that this type of color, this type of gemstone is the trend, basically all the consumer go for that gemstones and is basically pulling a lot, a lot of pressure on the miners and on, on the market, basically. So trends are a bad thing, I think. Trends, should, trends shouldn't exist because I think it's, it's, it's definitely damaging a lot of, you know, it's a lot of issues. <laughs> sure, I never, I mean, it's it makes so much sense, but I never really thought about that before. And now I'm gonna be more careful about when I talk about trends because I'm just feeding into the issue. <laughs> 
that's basically that, you know. And see, everybody wants like purple garnet, for instance. The purple garnet. I'm wearing purple garnet. <laughs> it's absolutely gorgeous and it has like an amazing reddish purple hue. But if everybody in the whole consumer wagon is basically jumping into that roller light garnet trend, the whole market is going to be trained, the price are going to be super high. So basically, that's why I'm trying to supply as many colors as possible. I'm not focusing solely on certain gemstones because I feel like following the trends is basically fueling all those ecological damage uh, problems too because people would be like looking at solely certain places that are sourcing certain type of gemstones and uh, so it's kind of like unbalancing the whole market I feel like so sure. you know it has to take trends out to be taken with a grain of salt and I know a lot of people are really really in love with fashion I want to follow absolutely what the trends are but I think that we need to be careful with that and kind of like look at all over the gemstones because all other colors are absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Definitely. And it makes it so much more important for you to be an educator too, because I'm sure when you're talking to your clients, I mean, they probably know a lot about gems, but you can help them see the beauty and maybe something a little bit different or unique that they might not have considered before. Absolutely. It's like uh, going into coming from the diamonds. Basically, the consumer is very well informed about diamonds at the moment and they want to have a certain type of color and everything. But usually they're not looking into some colored diamonds, which are slightly off color, but they will suit better to their design or their skin tone or something that is not going necessarily to be exactly the same as other people. So I feel like I'm... Basically, it's the job of a gemologist and a gem trader to orient the client better on what their needs are, not because other people have been buying this, but because what will suit them for the collection. It's like diamond that people want to have like diamonds and requesting for a D color when they if they see an E or maybe an F, they won't see any difference you know but they sure. really want this because they've been looking on the internet and say well this is the best but actually you will cut off a lot of your budget going for a light you know a, a lower color grade and the difference won't be even noticeable on your finger so sometimes more information is a bit damaging because people are actually getting their hands on information that they can't grasp because gemology is a vice subject and sometimes if you know too much you get very very confused yeah it's true <laughs> and uh, so it, it doesn't help to find the perfect gems i feel like definitely so uh, the last time we talked to you, you mentioned how vocal you are about supporting women in the jewelry and gemstone space, and you're actively taking steps to build community and to really lift up women and bring them together. Tell me more about why this is so important to you and, and what you're doing to facilitate that. Yeah, basically it's by chance because I just noticed that going through my customers list after two years of basically working hard and meeting a lot of people and I could just notice that 95% of my clients are women. So maybe because a lot of women now are jewelry designers, 
And when I started my, the trade, it was actually a really male industry. A lot of places were forbidden to women. You can find actually places in the mines which are still a bit forbidden to women because the kind of there is like some kind of like uh, bad luck things, and you know you don't know. Some sometimes it's religious. Uh, so I feel like growing a community of women makers, gemstone dealers, lapidaries. I've met a lot of them in the past two years as well, and a lot of girls and women that are starting the work with us and um, so I feel like the sorority behind the gemstone industry is perfect because most of the jewelry is let's face it intended to women so it's only logical that more women are actually part of this industry and voice it because some men in the industry can be a bit scary a bit patronizing a bit mansplaining when actually we have a lot of sensibilities, we love colors, we have different tastes uh, and all, all selections and our work are very, very different from the male's one. So I feel like this is us as women that can just grow harder, better this industry. And the same thing when I've been uh, mentioning some colleagues, um, dealers in Moyo Gems and Anza Gems, for instance, in Africa, which are partnering with an, an empowering women miners. So this is like the kind of trade that I absolutely love because they're keeping the money, they are able to learn how to facet gemstones, they are able to care for their kids close to the mine sites. And in overall, basically women have been more vocal, you know, more vocal about their needs, you know, and what they want to do with their jewelry business. And absolutely love every minute of it. And not that men are not coming to me, but I feel like a lot of women have been feeling absolutely more comfortable to talk with another woman, to talk about their designs. And they have had a lot of very bad experiences with men in the industry. My friends, the men friends I have in the trade are absolutely brilliant, but most of the time they also have a lady in the trade in their life. And I feel like sometimes it does make sense that you are better men because of the woman next to you. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I love that. It's really inspiring. It's, it's nice to hear too. Yes, and I think that as women, we, we are taking our bit now. We are taking our part in the industry. And, uh, and this is so much important. And it's been brightening my days, literally, to meet amazing girls in this trade. As you, you know, you've been contacted me, and I feel like this is like just the stars are talking when this is happening. <laughs> Yay, definitely. Well, I learned so much talking to you today. I hope my listeners learned a lot, even if they know about gemstones. I hope they got some kind of new piece of information from you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners about your work, any exciting projects you have coming up, any final thoughts? Well, I'm definitely going back to Thailand as soon as it can reopen for foreigners so I can spend a little time with my friends and suppliers over there. And I would like to take on more travels, especially to Sri Lanka and India. I unfortunately, unfortunately don't think I can travel to Pakistan, but I do now have good friends in Pakistan. So I'm, I, I want to be part of this world, basically. I want to 
to do my, my share, to do my bit, to be able to provide the best gemstones, you know, cut and trade by the good people of this world. So gem, gems and jewelry are basically treasures and we need to be treasure in life. We need to be good people. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward for the future and see how much I can grow and how much I can exist still in this world with the gemstones, because this is what I do for a very long time now. So I'm going to keep going. What what an amazing adventure. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Sophie. I really appreciate it. I really it. appreciate it. Thank you so much for giving a voice um, to a lot of different people in this trade. And I really appreciate your work and just like keep going, Larissa. Good job. <laughs> What did you think? If you want to learn more about Sophie and her business, Suba Gems, you can visit subagems.com or follow her on Instagram at Suba underscore gems. That's T-S-U-B-A-A underscore gems. You can always email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on iTunes. To purchase a signed copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy, visit joyjoya.com book. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about working with Joy Joya, visit joyjoya.com where you can sign up to download our free eBooks about various topics in jewelry marketing.